This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. Hi, I'm Ben Mathis. Welcome to Kick-Ass News. Astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson has attracted one of the world's largest online followings with his fascinating, widely accessible insights into science and our universe. Every year, he receives thousands of letters from his fans who ask a vast array of questions, many of which have nothing to do with science, but instead relate to matters that most of us think about, like family, God, and the real final frontier, death. Neil often writes back to them, answering their queries with thoughtful consideration and his famous cosmic perspective. Now Neil deGrasse Tyson has handpicked 101 of his favorite letters and responses for his newest book, Letters from an Astrophysicist. And today I'm happy to welcome Neil back to the podcast to share some of his thoughts on a wide range of topics from 9-11, NASA, and educating your children to Bigfoot and literal flat earthers. Yes, those still exist. He says he doesn't think of himself as debunking conspiracy theories and junk science, but instead he tries to get people to take a scientific approach to their beliefs. He shares touching personal letters from his cousin wondering about her deceased father's spirit and a mother whose autistic son is torn between what he learns in Hebrew school and what he watches on Neil's television series Cosmos. Neil discusses the minefield of opinion-neutral tweets and bad timing, and the tweet that got him in hot water with the musician Moby. Plus, he answers your questions about black holes, the speed of light, the moon landing, and more. Coming up with Neil deGrasse Tyson in just a moment. Neil deGrasse Tyson is an astrophysicist with the American Museum of Natural History, host of the hit radio and Emmy-nominated TV show Star Talk, and the New York Times bestselling author of Astrophysics for People in a Hurry, and Accessory to War, the unspoken alliance between astrophysics and the military. Now in his latest book, Letters from an Astrophysicist, NDT draws upon cosmic perspectives to address a vast array of questions about science, faith, philosophy, life, and, of course, Pluto. <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me back. Yeah, I'm uh, here in person. It's good to, I good know, to be. I know, I know. We've done this now the third time, and I mm. finally get you in person. Mm -hmm, it's a real mm -hmm. treat. Now, are people So that's what you look like. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It must be weird to talking no. to these disembodied voices you know, remotely like that. Um, are people really still giving you trouble about demoting Pluto? Occasionally. I that look on my, Twitter, on my Twitter stream. In the middle of nowhere, somebody says, <laughs> please bring back Pluto, or I've yeah. always loved Pluto. Or, it, it, it rears its head uh, un unannounced. <laughs> yeah. And so there's still some, some uh, un unhealed wounds out yeah. there. I think the next generation of kids are growing up knowing the status of Pluto yeah. from scratch, right? Yeah. And so therefore, they didn't have to unlearn anything. They got it right from the beginning. So it's really this, this slice of of humanity <laughs> between age, <laughs> those who were in fourth grade when yeah. this demotion occurred, who had just put in the effort to learn 
the sequence of planets, to memorize the sequence of planets from the sun, and they had to get that undone. They they have a chip on their shoulders still to this day, <laughs> and they're full grown adults at this yeah. point, right? Yeah, that was back in the early two thousands. Yeah, I do like that in letters from an astrophysicist. You actually do get an apology from someone who, I guess, as a kid, had called you a poo-poo head yeah, or something one like of the that letters. for demoting Pluto. One of the letters is written in ever. a complete deadpan. It's complete <laughs> deadpan. Um, dear Dr. Tyson, uh, after reviewing the issues regarding Pluto, I must apologize. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but it's it's in there. I must apologize for when I was ten years old. I called you a poo-poo head. <laughs> Please accept my apologies. I deeply respect your work. So it was. <laughs> So I nice. just, that was just so so out there that I had yeah. to include that. Yeah. <laughs> Better late than never. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now this is a little bit different than your previous books. Oh, so it's so, a lot different from every book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Some of these are letters and some of these are op-eds that have actually been published, but many of them haven't. And you get unusually personal opening up about uh, your experience with race, your children's education, your dad's death, 9-11, et cetera. Has it taken you a while to get comfortable with putting some of this out there? Yeah, that's a great question. So the entire book is a side of me that's generally not shared with the public. Mm -hmm. And it's where I have one-on-one encounters with people who have written to me with uh, deep issues related to their lives. One person wrote in right after being informed he had terminal cancer. Wow. Given six months or so. I think he might have lasted a year after that. There are letters where people are concerned, should they raise their children religious, where they can get a sort of moral fiber, or if they don't, do they lose their sense of what is right or wrong? So these are very personal letters that I've received. And in addition to those, there's a subset of communiques that I've written. Some landed as letters to the editor. Um, others, one was a, a letter to my parents that I've included. And another is a sort of a eulogy at my father's memorial service. He, he died a couple of years ago. And yes, it's uh, those are are expressions of how I became who I am. Really, um, there's even a letter I was eyewitness to September 11th. I lived yeah. downtown Lower Manhattan, four blocks from what they call Ground Zero, and I wrote a letter to family and colleagues, alerting them that I'm okay, but that I was probably forever changed by this this being eyewitness to this devastating event in a devastating day. And I found it refreshing because we usually only hear scientists weighing in on subjects within their specific disciplines. Rarely do we actually get to hear from arguably the smartest people on the planet, scientists, on other important subjects like death, social issues, world affairs, etc. I felt that, well, this is, this is a scientifically informed view of the world that I think the public doesn't usually get. Mm-hmm. You'll always you'll hear the newscaster's view. You'll hear the the movie star's view because they're just famous. You'll hear the p- politician's right. view. All these people's views and reactions to tragedy or trauma or to joy. All of those you don't think to go to the scientist for emotions. Typically, yeah, it's just not yeah. on. It's not on your radar. And my letters there that are sort of letters to no one in particular. But they were, so, like I said, letters to the editor of the Times or letters. Yeah. Uh, those are sides of me that I generally don't, that don't show up in videos. In fact, you even weigh in on religion, and not in a snarky way like a lot of scientists, but in ways that I found surprisingly empathetic. My, I think my favorite exchange of the book 
is a woman who says that she does with her 10-year-old child what generations have done before her. She takes him to Hebrew school so he can learn about his religion and where he comes from. Yet lately he's been coming home, and by the way, he's on the autism spectrum. Lately he's been coming home saying that he doesn't believe in God and that the Bible is fairy tales and that Earth started in a big bang and we're all going to die in a black hole. And this is a 10-year-old kid. And so the mother said, well, where did you get these ideas? And he said, cosmos. Okay, so I'm completely called out here, right? It's a complete... So she says, it's a very polite letter, by the way, yeah. and so I'm, I'm afraid to read on after that, but I do. <laughs> and she says, by the way, um, he respects you, and I respect him, and so I don't want to teach him things that might be proved wrong. Mm-hmm. So, Interesting. Yeah, it's a very, okay. she was a very open-minded about huh. this encounter with her son and with this letter that came back to me. So it took me, it took me a year to get up enough really sort of guts and ideas and reflections to reply to her and I do a fair amount of reading on religion my shelves I have multiple shelves mm-hmm. of religions of throughout the world so I have some some fluency yeah. in, and you teach your own kids about religion yes right? yes they know all of it more in a sort of comparative religion way. right right which was I think what comparative religion should be you know, it's yeah. there's this religion in, in this time, and it had these leaders and these prophets and these holy books, and here's another religion that has these. And plus, if you were honest about it, you would say all of the Greek gods were was their religion. You wouldn't mm. call it mythology, because that implies, well, those are myths, but these religions today are real. Right, right. right. They're, they're, all, they're all religions. <laughs> yeah. They're all gods. Yeah. They're all belief systems, all <laughs> of them. So what I said was, after mustering enough... Um, energy and sensitivity to just do right by that letter. Uh, What I said was, you know, he's not going to be under your roof for much more than eight years and will spend most of his life under his own roof. So you don't really have, you you can't control this. And we live in a free country where you have free expression of ideas. We can believe in one God, multiple gods, or no gods, all right? The fact that there's no mention of God in the Constitution or any religion at all is a powerful fact. What that means is the government can't tell you who to worship. There's nothing in the governing doctrines of the government that has that power. So that's a remarkable, controversial in its day, but a remarkable fact, a remarkable expression of freedom, of uh, freedom yeah. to express uh, beliefs that you want, provided it doesn't subtract from the freedoms of others. Right, right, okay. right. right. So, it's not an endorsement. Right, right. It's not right. So what <laughs> I told her was, you can still have him participate in the Jewish religion without requiring that he think of every story in the Bible as literally true. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a significant demographic among Jews who are Jewish atheists, and he said, well, what is that, right? What is that? Well, Jewish atheists knew who I'm talking about. They're, right, they're right. people who celebrate the high holidays with all the ritual that anyone else would have with Thanksgiving or with, um, you know, the family comes together. There's a Seder for, for um, Passover, for example. And you do this because it's community. Right. It's family. It's... It's tradition. It's tra- <laughs> tradition. <laughs> it's tradition. 
tradition. <laughs> right, right. That's right. I don't know. Where's yeah. my fiddle? I don't have a fiddle. So, yeah. I mean, so, even so in what, Israel, 30% of people that live in Israel are secular Jews. I exactly. Think, secular, so. or, uh, yeah. Secular is probably the, the more accurate way to describe them mm-hmm. rather than atheist. The, the, the point is, I said, rituals are some, form some of the greatest binding forces that we have in our culture. And they have been overwhelmingly positive to civilization, except for when the practicing of your ritual, you have judged it becomes a requirement of other people. Mm -hmm. And then that sows the seeds of conflict and ultimately war, bloodshed, and in the history has shown death. So your rituals might not be someone else's rituals, but they're nonetheless rituals. And they perform, like I said, the taproots of of human social interaction. So I said, raise him fully exposed to all these rituals. And that would be a valuable um, starter lessons to develop him socially, mm-hmm. which anyone on the autism spectrum would need and benefit from. Yeah, And and don't lose sleep and trust that he will can still become a, a moral law-abiding citizen, even if he doesn't believe that Moses literally turned a staff into a snake <laughs> or that manna fell yeah. from heaven. So that's yeah. that was my reply. And and she was very warm in that response. And uh, in fact, I got an invitation to her son's bar mitzvah. <laughs> oh, really? No kidding. <laughs> yeah. So, so I was pleased to have yeah. – so oh, by the way, the end of her letter, she said, yeah. I don't know what to believe here. Can science coexist with God? I just don't know. I just want to be a good parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was that I want to be a good That's parent. Right. That was the, that was the call, that was the, the distress call. Yeah, because I'm also a parent, and my kids are older than that. So what did I do? What would I have done? Yeah, and so I'm answering as a scientist, as a parent, as a uh, as a um, partially religion literate but very scientifically literate shoulder for her mm-hmm. to lean on in these this time of uh, I don't want to call it crisis time of a dilemma. Are you surprised as a scientist that so many people want to ask you about God and whether you believe in God? I mean, God comes up a lot in this book. That God, really surprised exactly. me. Exactly. In fact, that's the edited down version of what could have been. <laughs> there could have been an entire yeah. book of people asking God questions. So uh, most of the God letters are from Christians, but there's also some from Jews, such as mm-hmm. the woman I described. Uh, there's one from Buddhist. There's a Buddhist. Right, right. There's a, a Muslim who writes in talking about the science that he found in the Quran. So we have an exchange about that. And like I said, I couldn't, I, I, would, I would be irresponsible to engage such people who have strong sort of religious foundations for their commentary, unless I didn't also do some serious reading in those realms, which I've done over my life. The public doesn't know that because that's, that's, this is my private reading. And, and right. so I don't make a big deal of it that I can recite chapter and verse in the Bible with many people, not the preachers, but many yeah. people who say they're religious, I'm, I'm there. Okay? Yeah, you, you know. <laughs> For you many know people, yeah, because I've read you it. You can check them on and stuff. What I said huh? was, if I'm getting yeah. asked about God this often, I better read up on God. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and so I did some homework, and <laughs> of course there are people who spend their whole lives trying to understand the Bible and God and, and, or the Quran, so I'm not that person, mm. but I am someone who has familiarity with broad familiarity with their content, enabling me to engage people as a scientist, but with some sensitivity to where they're coming from. Yeah. And that constitutes the letters that are there. 
Yeah, and they're generally pretty civilized exchanges. Not all of them, but most. And one person got frustrated because he wasn't winning me over to his side because <laughs> he wants the earth to be 6,000 years old, as prescribed in biblical <laughs> right. Genesis. He wasn't winning me over. And then he accused me of being sort of uh, uh, short-sighted or, 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 uh, and, and said that I just don't like religion, <laughs> and that's just me being biased. I said... Do you realize how much time I've spent in conversation with you, exchanging letters? <laughs> if if I really felt the way you think I felt, mm -hmm. this this conversation would have never unfolded at yeah. all, right? It would have been in the circular file. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I would think that the the six thousand year theory would be more short sighted, actually. <laughs> well, yeah, but I so rather than say it's short sighted, all right. I say I is, mean it's literally short sighted. <laughs> okay, it's short timed. Yeah. We so what I do is I carefully present why we think mm -hmm. the earth is much older than 6,000 years and what, and, and why that matters. And so yeah. you'll see that conversation. So the conversations I have with religious people, which you don't otherwise see me having on YouTube or in public. Mm -hmm. uh, Bill Nye, a good friend, debated the head of the Creation Science Museum, right. Ken Ham, in Kentucky, I think it was. Debated him, okay? <laughs> I, I don't do that. I don't, I don't take on... Uh, people's, uh, uh, Why is that? Just a, a lack of interest, or does is it a distraction from what your interest is? And if people with are the questions adults of the cosmos, and, and they that? strongly reject the objective truths of science, uh -huh. I I just chalk it up to you're a free country. You yeah. can think what you want. Yeah. If people are genuinely curious, so one of the letters is someone says, "Why can't the Earth be six thousand years old?" Is there some, is it absolutely impossible for them to, you know, I, I, I don't have a horse in the race, but I'm just, I'm just curious, right? So to have a I mean, that's, that's reasonable to ask it's an you honest, to explain why it's not possible. Exactly. And I'm a scientist okay. in arm's reach because at the time my email was publicly accessible. So yeah. if you saw me on TV and I have a question for him, you'd, you'd sift through uh -huh. the, on the internet and there is my email. And so- so there were thousands of emails, and in this book, there's 101 uh, culled from that list of the most, uh, I think they're the most illuminating for a reader, right? There, there's a lot of mail that was, oh, how hot it's is the sun? a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah, the mail that was sort of straightforward science, that there, mm -hmm. that's not in the book here. Mm -hmm. uh, others, but it's it's email that you might be interested in as, yeah. a, as, a, as, as just as a reader and as a, a perhaps a curious person of yourself. You might even find one of your own questions in there. Yeah. Just as a, uh, because some questions are common among people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, the diversity of, of questions that you get. And actually there's a surprising it's, it's, number of, it's kind of conspiracy stuff in there. Well, I think there's a whole section dedicated to conspiracy <laughs> theories, right? Well, so I try to be honest about yeah. what is puzzling people mm -hmm. out there. Honest in the selection that's here. I could have left out whole whole categories. There's only one category that I left out, but was in there mm -hmm. in an early draft. Okay, there's there's What's a whole that? there's a whole chapter called hate mail. Oh you yeah. Get to see just pissed <laughs> off angry people with me yeah. for something I said or did. That was juxtaposed with another chapter called fan mail. Okay. And I said well, I don't need to put fan mail in here. I just so I just took it out. So I hope you don't think all letters are just angry, pissed off people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have a lot of letters that people are very happy yeah. and nice for what I've done for them. But I, I took Is that up. Is it fun for you, though, to address those? You know, like you you cover aliens and Bigfoot Alien, and yeah. Someone said, can, can there really be a hairy ape in the Pacific yeah. Northwest? And I thought that was an honest question when it was uh -huh. asked. 
So I said, here's the reasons why that is unlikely. Okay, and I gave a list of reasons. Then the person said, I've never met a scientist so close-minded as you. How could, we used to think the world was, you know, whatever. We used to think that. So I didn't know he would jump back at me. So he just like attacked <laughs> on full full frontal attack. And uh, I, I just, what I said was, if you have large hairy apes wandering the Pacific Northwest, um, you'd see their poop. <laughs> Yeah, right. You don't right. have to Where's see the, the ape. Where's you, the Bigfoot scat? You would see the poop. Yeah. You yeah. might have bones. You would find a cave. There's uh, there's there's the signature that's left over from the existence of large mammals is yeah. huge. It's huge. There would be if it's a mammal, it would reproduce sexually and you'd have a male and a female. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't just be one, there would be two, right. at least two. Right. Then you'd have babies somewhere and you'd so now while there's a lot of forest up there in the Pacific Northwest, um all I said was rather than spend your energy trying to convince me that I am wrong, why don't you use that same energy finding Bigfoot, and that way you don't have to convince anybody of anything because you would produce the thing you're looking right. for, okay? So yeah. I think you had a similar answer to someone who said that he, he had a, a design for a perpetual motion machine, was asking for your help. Right, and and I just need help to, to, to yeah. let people know about the machine. Right, I right. said just build it. That's all you have to do, yeah. and people will beat a path to your door. So those are all from yeah. one chapter of people just who are coming from places that yeah. are not scientifically anchored, but they don't know why. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with more with Neil deGrasse Tyson when we come back in just a moment. If you're struggling to get a good night's sleep, you've got to try Purple Mattress. The Purple Mattress will probably feel different than anything you've ever experienced because it uses this brand new material that was developed by actual rocket scientists. It's not like the memory foam you're used to. The Purple material is both firm and soft at the same time, so it keeps everything supported while still feeling really comfortable. Plus, it's breathable so it sleeps cool. Try it for 100 nights risk-free, and if you're not completely satisfied, you can return your mattress for a full refund. It's backed up by a 10-year warranty. Plus, you get free shipping and returns. You're going to love Purple. And right now, you'll get a free Purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. That's in addition to the great free gifts they're offering site-wide. Just text KICK to 84888. The only way to get this free pillow is to text KICK to 84888. That's KICK, K-I-C-K, to 84888. Message and data rates may apply. Nobody goes into business because they want to collect sales tax for the government, but it's something that all businesses need to do. Thankfully, Avalara takes the mystery and pain out of the complex process of managing sales tax. Avalara uses the power of the Internet and cloud services to automate the tax compliance process for businesses of all sizes, integrating directly with the accounting, e-commerce, point-of-sale, and marketplace platforms that you're already using. Avalara software automatically calculates the right amount of tax that should be charged for every product in every transaction in real time and files your tax returns wherever and whenever they're due. 
Selling internationally adds a whole new level of complexity, but Avalara has experts in 15 countries around the world to help you navigate compliance challenges as you grow. I run a small business, and I know it's a lot to keep up with. One of the most frustrating and perilous aspects of running a business is taxes. Sales tax compliance is particularly confusing, especially when you're doing business all over the world and dealing with sales tax rules in all kinds of different states and even different countries. And if you don't get it right, it can be extremely costly. Avalara can save business owners valuable time and energy and most importantly, give them the peace of mind that everything gets done right the first time. Stop spending valuable time worrying about your sales tax returns and focus on the things you actually love about running your business. Go to avalara.com kick to learn more about how Avalara can help you. That's avalara, A-V-A-L-A-R-A dot com slash kick. Avalara, tax compliance done right. Do you almost place a greater priority on debunking conspiracy theories and things like creationism and junk science and that kind of thing than I don't just think, responding to fan letters? No, no, no. Do you feel that's more important? I don't think of it that way. Oh, okay. You say debunking. These are or honest refuting. people. <laughs> no, no. It's, they're honest people with the fact that they took the energy to write to me mm-hmm. meant that there's act, they're actually curious. They want to know. There are some letters of a kind where... They're just, just on a on a soapbox, and they're not really interested in a conversation. Mm. They're just want to scream at me, and the fact that I don't agree with them, it's my problem, not theirs. Those are not productive exchanges. Mm. These are productive exchanges that we've s- selected for this book because they're actually asking questions. So it gives me a okay. place to come into their thinking as an educator mm-hmm. and explore how are they thinking. What might they be missing? Is there something I'm missing in what my understanding of the natural world in my exchanges with them? There's a letter from someone I know, okay? This is a second cousin of mine who wrote to me after her father died, which would be my first cousin. Oh, she's a third cousin. I have to, there's a, it's I in can't the, figure yeah, that the exact out. lineage is in there. But anyhow, I know her, <laughs> yeah. all right? She is an intelligent yeah. person. Okay, that's and not she. There's no, she's not crazy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. She said when her father died, she had to identify the body in the funeral home, and there he was up on the slab, not in a casket or anything. And she had a conversation with him, and recounts Once, that conversation in her letter to me. Okay, a two-sided conversation. Two-sided conversation. Mm-hmm. That's good. Thanks for clarifying. Okay. Two, two-sided conversation. And I then, I then, oh, and then she asks, so what do I think was going on during this conversation? And so I give my reply, mm-hmm. right? So to to debunk something would be to say, oh, it can't possibly happen. This is crazy. No, but I okay. take it. You're taking a scientific approach to it just like anything else. Just or like you're trying to get else. others to do that uh, What I'm well. trying to do is yeah. say, okay. let us explore this yeah. scientifically. And to do so means you have to ask questions. Mm-hmm. You, so uh, to simplify the point I'm trying to make is it is equally as intellectually lazy to bluntly discount it as it is to bluntly accept it. Right, so if I come up to yeah. you and say I want to sell you these crystals and they'll heal you uh, magically, and 
You say, wow, great. Get well, that takes no brain effort to just uh -huh. accept it. If you say, oh, that's BS. No, they just get it. No, that's also intellectually lazy. All right. Mm -hmm. If you were honest, you would ask questions. You would say, well, what are the crystals made of? By what mechanism are, does this work? Do you have to do anything to them? Uh, do you have evidence that they have worked? And has this been d double blind tested? And you explain why that's important so that mm -hmm. you're not fooled. You just go through all of this. And by then the person has gone on to the next customer because they're not, they don't think they're <laughs> gonna make a sale with yeah. you. But you, you're not you've, been, you've been intellectually honest mm -hmm. in your inquiry. So when I replied, I gave her a series of experiments to conduct the next time that happens, okay? <laughs> so instead of yeah. saying, instead of saying, oh, are you well? Yes, I'm in a better place, Was you know, are you, uh, don't worry about me, okay, I won't worry about you. No, you are wasting yeah. a perfectly good opportunity <laughs> to communicate right. with the dead, okay? You should say, where are you? <laughs> are you wearing clothes? Do you eat? How old are you? Yeah. If you eat, who prepares the food? <laughs> are you eating dead animals or dead plants? Are, is there, are there farms? Do you have currency? Who else is there? Ask, ask tangible mm -hmm. questions so that the answer will give a picture of where the other side is and yeah. what it's about. Then, Maybe she could be inventing these answers in her own head. There's that possibility. Uh -huh. You want to protect against that. Get somebody else to write a simple but very easy to remember saying on a card and not show it to you. Okay, so okay. be like okay. roses are red. Yeah. Something very simple. Rose are red or it's raining cats and dogs. Something mm -hmm. we all heard. Simple, But don't get them to write it but have them not tell you. There then you when you yeah. have that conversation, hold up that card. To your father, say, can you read this? <laughs> and if he gets it right, yeah. then, oh, my gosh. I love it. You will be famous overnight. Yeah. For That's like Houdini. Communicate. Oh, yes. He, he you, did something you, similar to you that. You did the he? Houdini. Yeah. yeah. So Houdini made a pact with yeah. his wife that when he died, there was a secret um, uh, phrase mm -hmm. that one of them would say to the other. And they were around when mediums were very big. Right. Back 100 years ago, near turn of the century, mediums was a very big thing. And Houdini, uh, he didn't believe in them. He thought they were all cranks. But just in case they were real, he and his wife had a, had a phrase that they didn't tell anybody. And if one of them died and was contacted through the medium, they would utter that phrase. And if the medium then said that phrase to the other, they were, in fact, successfully communicating with the dead. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but it never, so, okay. it never but, worked. Yeah, but it never worked. It never worked, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so and what can we read into so, that? So that's another yeah. kind of letter. Again, it's mm -hmm. people who have experiences and they're trying to – some people saw glowing yeah. objects in the sky. What might they have seen? Mm -hmm. Some person saw a doppelganger of herself across the stage. Yeah, that was Except that doppelganger was the opposite sex to what she was. She yeah. it was a male version of herself and they both paused – and looked at each other as they walked by. So these are experience. These are these are real. What I what I mean by real is people experienced this, mm -hmm. and they want to know what science says about it. And they wrote to me, mm -hmm. and I'm flattered that people felt comfortable enough yeah. to bring these very personal uh, moments of their life. Let me ask you, Neil. Why do you think that is? Why do you think they chose you? I wondered is it something I said or did. I don't. I don't know. Is it? Um, Maybe because I want people to call me Neil, like Carl Sagan want to be called Carl, uh -huh. not Dr. Sagan. 
you know, when you have titles, it puts some, a little bit of distance between you right. and the other person. As right. though, listen to me because I have a doctorate. That's why what I'm saying is true. <laughs> well, that's not being an educator. An educator is yeah. you prevent you present information that the person can use and arrive at that conclusion on their own. Yeah. So that in the end, it requires no reference back to you at all. Yeah. We're not going to use the word debunking, but in terms of addressing, I don't know, junk science and that kind of thing, what bothers you more, creationism or the people who come to you as climate deniers? So, so what's frustrating is when people don't really want to understand. Mm-hmm. Where their thinking is flawed, or that where the, something is broken, or was never there to begin with, in their capacity for full-up rational thinking, and they will hide behind statements like, "Well, you just don't have an open mind." But do they have an open mind? Is that why they think right. <laughs> 9/11 was a conspiracy? There's a conspiracy letter in the book from a 9/11 person. Is there a um, are they the ones with the open mind and I have a closed mind? Well, it's possible for your mind to be so open that your brains spill out and no longer function, <laughs> right? And that fact thwarts many people's ability to reconcile their lives mm. with what is objectively true. Yeah, but there is one point in here. <laughs> you address uh, the hip-hop artist, B.O.B., oh, who so is a flat earther. He's a flat I earther. Mean, come on. He's a flat like, so, so now It's I, funny that like flat earthers, that's just kind of become this catch-all for science deniers. But so, now yeah, there are actually I uh, generally don't real engage, flat earthers still. <laughs> I generally don't engage the creationist or flat earthers or yeah. any of this publicly. I just, right. Like I said earlier, I just don't. In this particular case, the reason why I agreed to engage him, and I did it in a sort of video letter, that was done right. live on Comedy Central's um, The Larry Wilmore Show. Um, the reason why I did it is he was tweeting that Earth was flat, okay. But then he start, Then I started seeing people in my Twitter stream saying, Neil, B.O.B. is going off. On, <laughs> you gotta stop him. And then I asked myself, that means in the Venn diagram of the followers of B.O.B. and the followers of me, there's a little sliver of overlap where people are saying, please help him not make a fool of himself because I like his rap music, yeah. right? So the, I, it was like a it was like a bat signal <laughs> to, say, yeah. to cross over to help. But that wasn't the that wasn't the tipping point. The yeah. tipping point for me was he started saying, I'm using actual physics equations to prove this. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, you're not. Okay, oh, let's. My. So that's what really called me out. Yeah, and so my I, my letter to Bob yeah. is in this book as well. <laughs> yeah, some of the mm-hmm. hate mail is actually some of the most entertaining stuff in here. <laughs> the hate mail. Yeah, because uh, at one point I think it was another musician, Moby, takes issue with one of your tweets where you say a cow is a biological machine invented by humans to turn grass into steak. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a tweet, a, a very blunt tweet, but yeah. but factual, right? Right. As and, you say, it was opinion neutral. Yes, opinion neutral. It was, <laughs> but that gets you in trouble sometimes. Opinion well, yeah, neutral. Yeah, it can. So, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, if neutral statements get you in trouble, yeah. I, is there any hope for civilization? <laughs> <I know. laughs> it used to be you'd argue over opinions, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, my choice of words, right. a, a or biological, the, or the timing of some opinion possibly neutral tweets, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So, and for many things, timing is everything, yeah. whether or not it's, you know, right. neutral. So a machine is something that does work for you, all right? And 
you can say an ox is a machine because it pulls the, mm-hmm. the plow, whatever. You can, but it's a it's a it's an animal machine in that sense. You're not using it as a pet. It's a tool that you've invoked. So a biological machine for me was sort of metaphor for we breed these things for this one purpose. Obviously, also to produce milk. Plus, some cows eat corn or what, I mean, whatever. I don't know. It's corn or some other. Uh, uh, some other grasses, right. whatever yeah. cows eat in a cow diet. <laughs> I chose grass and I chose steak as the two things. Yeah. And Moby, who's a very well-known vegetarian, in fact, he's vegan, an activist about it, Moby the musician, wrote- Is there another Moby? No, I don't think <laughs> Moby Dick? I Moby Dick. Yeah. The, he wrote back a scathing, scathing critique of my tweet. And it's in there. I got his permission- to oh, really? put his scathing tweet. <laughs> yeah, you, you need permission to use people's words. It was an angry and scathing. He says, when your hero disappoints you, or something like that, <laughs> and Neil deGrasse, I thought you were smart. Yeah, how could you possibly? And he went on to say that, that cows are not a machine, they're an animal, and, they're, and it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And at the end, he says, for someone who's supposed to be smart, you're behaving like a psychopath. <laughs> wow. So it's like, whoa, this is pretty <laughs> serious. So if it was just a random troll, I would yeah. just ignore it. But it's Moby. <laughs> so I got I to gotta reply to Moby. So I, I replied. And so my reply is in, is in the book. <laughs> and by the way, I, I would say about a third of his comment thread uh-huh. after he laid into me said, Moby, chill out. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, his own fan base was not entirely behind his tirade. <laughs> so I think that he, he might have taken some pause at that. I, I don't know. Uh, it's hard to always keep up with yeah. what everybody says and every thread that ever existed. <laughs> so anyway, so that's in there too. And I think that's in the hate mail part, yeah. of, the, part yeah. of the book. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's interesting that you actually engage with your haters. A lot of people would say, don't do that. Well, if it comes from a place that's sincere within them, mm-hmm. then I don't have a problem with okay. that. Yeah, if if there's something I did that that rubs you the wrong way, I want to know how and why that's the case. Mm-hmm. Cuz it's not my intent to rub you the wrong way. I thought the general reaction to that tweet would be, well, I never thought about it that way. Oh my gosh. Because cows were invented. Cow there're no herds of wild milk cows stalking right. the countrysides, <laughs> right? <laughs> we invented the cow. Yeah. The cow does not exist in nature. It never existed in nature. We created it from the aurochs, now extinct aurochs, which was a sort of prehistoric predecessor to a modern mm-hmm. cow. So yeah, we so we can make better tasting steak and higher yields of milk. Let us breed them and create a new kind of thing. You know, the Jersey cow or yeah. whatever whatever they're called, or the Holsteins. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> My yeah. favorite Gary Larson comic. <laughs> Oh, aren't those great? Oh, yeah, it was. Cows feature a lot in his Or, or farm animals in general, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so there are two cows drinking alcohol, dancing on the kitchen, on the on the dining room table. And the host cows say, I told you not to invite the Holsteins. That's not my favorite farm animal Gary Larson. I know oh, yeah. we're supposed to talk about the book, but <laughs> so, um, so there's a cow, a horse, a chicken, and some other farm animal in a barn. All right, and yeah. the barn door is open, so you can see a little in the distance. And it's a three-panel thing. 
So all these, they're all talking to each other. And <laughs> I was it the cow that said, but if you divide by the square root of mass, you get the same result. And the next pound, and the chicken says, but you're missing the basic premise of my theory. And then the, then the horse says, farmer, because they see the farmer coming, yeah. and the next paint, there's a cluck, 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 move. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know if they're really doing that in the, in the barn. Yeah, they could be discussing no Einstein relativity. You yeah. don't know. <laughs> what was it? I, I once heard a joke. I think my favorite barn animal joke was there's a, you know, a traveling salesman who comes upon some little farmhouse and goes up and asks the farmer if he can pay him 50 bucks to spend the night or whatever. The farmer says, the house is full. I don't have any rooms, but you're welcome to sleep in the barn with the animals. He says, all right. So he sleeps in the barn with the animals. The next morning, farmer walks in and he says, how'd you sleep? He said, oh, I slept like a baby and I had a great time. I talked to the animals for hours. And he's like, you talked to them? You mean you like you talked at them? No, no. We had a whole conversation. He says, I talked to the chickens and they said that you come out and you feed them you know, at five in the morning, every morning. And he said, I talked to the cow and the cow says every morning at 6 a.m. you come in and milk me then he said I, I talked to the sheep and the farmer says no no, no, no don't listen to the sheep sheep are liars <laughs> that's funny <laughs> i think that was a gilbert Gottfried joke but, that's funny yeah. well in the book someone asks you which film was the worst cinematic offender to science and you answer armageddon what's not to love about armageddon you got bruce no Willis, they didn't you ask got if i then affleck well, no you missed it Oh, did I? Yeah, yeah. See? Okay. See? Guilty. I thought you totally said Arm Armageddon. No, no, no. You missed something else. What? A, okay. They didn't ask if I liked the movie or didn't like the movie. Okay. They just asked what was the worst scientific offender. Okay. Okay. That's different from whether I liked the movie. Okay. These are separable variables. Okay. So Very what is separable the scientific variable. issues with Armageddon? Armageddon violates more laws of physics per minute. <laughs> than any other film ever. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, completely. I'm trying to remember. And, and the problem is, I'm inevitably, I get it mixed up with Deep Impact. Which is that? That was the other Asteroid movie that year. Oh, Impact. Oh, Deep yeah. Impact. Deep Impact. Deep yeah. Impact. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was the 90s. Yeah, when, that was, that was, know, a, year, was an, a year away from it. dueling that. Ebola movies. There were dueling Asteroid movies. The, those two movies came within <laughs> yeah. a, two year, a year of each other. Right. That's right. Deep Impact had good yeah. science in it. Good, okay. Accurate really? science. Yeah. So, for example... In Armageddon, the asteroid bits that were part of the field of asteroids headed towards Earth, they seem to have GPS locators because they only hit world monuments. Right? One <laughs> of them decapitated right. the yeah. Chrysler building. <laughs> Look how much of the Earth right. is water and how much that is not water is not inhabited. Yeah. And how much of that is not inhabited is not cities. And how much of it is not Manhattan Island. Yeah. An asteroid decapitated the, the Chrysler building entered the front door of the Grand Central Terminal <laughs> and hit the clock in the middle of the Grand Hall of Grand Central Terminal. These are, another one hit the South Tower of the World Trade Center. I'm sorry. This, this, is, this movie is, is scientifically brain dead. <laughs> okay. But it's a completely entertaining film. Okay. Wh which movie gets it right the most? The Martian. The Martian? Yeah. There are others, yeah. but that one in, in recent films, The Martian. Yeah. Yeah. What I liked about it, and I didn't see anyone comment make this comment, but I felt it strongly, that science was a character in that movie. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So much a character it was that all you cared about was how is Mark Watney, played by, by <laughs> Matt Damon, by Matt Damon, 
Yeah. How is Mark Watney not going to die today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he has to invoke creative, yeah. ingenious, math, uh, right. scientific, and engineering solutions to not dying. Mm-hmm. You didn't care if he was in love. You didn't care if he had family. Yeah. You even the, they did have the stereotyped image where the rescue crew they don't they have to stay longer, so they touch the video screen where their newborn kid is crawling on the bed. And I'm saying, could you hurry that up, please? I want to see if he's going to die today. <laughs> yeah, right. Because the universe is constantly trying to kill us, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. And so because of that, you want to know to what degree science can manifest by a creative person, a scientifically creative person. So the drama was not interpersonal. It was science and survival. Huh. And so from, and it had a marquee budget with a marquee director, Ridley mm-hmm. Scott, marquee actors. So I think we're, we're good there. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, one of the highest, three highest compliments I ever got, Yeah. okay, was Andy Weir, the author of The Martian. The Martian. He, I met him, we had him on my, on my talk show, Star Talk, as a guest. And he said, you know, when he was writing the novel, he, because there's a lot of science in it, how, what he has to do, he did, uh, by the way, he's, he's a trained engineer turned novelist. So he said he imagined I was looking over his shoulder while he was writing. <laughs> and yeah. if there's anything that he thought I'd come later and tweet about mm-hmm. it, He'd have to fix it on the spot. So, so that's pretty I, good praise. I was delighted yeah. to be thought of as this yeah. evil force on his shoulder, <laughs> forcing him to get his calculations right. Well, before we wrap up here, I always have to throw it out to the audience to ask if they have any questions because inevitably, after I have you on, they always give me all kinds of crap for not asking you this or that. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so, uh, first off. So you, solic- so you did solicit I questions. I solicited them. Okay. I, well, a lot of times I always get the questions after the interview. No, too late. So, too late. Yeah, so mm-hmm. this time I actually solicited them. Uh-huh. Um, Claire asks, why did some NASA scientists say a few years ago that they are still working on getting mankind across the Van Allen radiation belt? Surely that does no good for the moon landing conspiracy arguments. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who said that. The Van Allen okay. radiation belts, Earth has a magnetic field for those mm-hmm. who are not sort of radiation belt fluent. <laughs> uh, uh, Earth has a magnetic field mm-hmm. and particles from the sun, some of which uh, the sun is losing mass all the time at a slow rate, but it's real. It's called the solar wind. And it has a pressure like wind would have pressure. So many of those particles are charged particles. They have a net positive charge or they're electrons that have a negative charge. When moving charges see a magnetic field, they're attracted to it. And they and depending on the geometry of that magnetic field, they can be trapped within it. So it's a higher concentration of, of particles, damaging particles mm-hmm. than other places in Earth's orbit Okay, uh, in, 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 that surround Earth. So it turns out it's not okay. really a thing. I mean, okay. it's, it's not okay. a... It's, it's not a problem. Okay, yeah, I'm and trying to figure out how that relates to the moon landing conspiracy, I guess. Oh, no, they're, sure. they're thinking that if we haven't actually gone through it, oh. then we didn't actually go oh, to the moon. Okay, yeah, okay. That, that's what I got saying there. Yeah. I, I, okay. I assume, yeah. <laughs> well, Trevor asks, is it true that all or most stars we see in the sky are dead by the time that we can view them with the naked eye? No, that is- That's not true, That is, is false, and yeah. here's why it's false. Why do people, so many people believe that? I think they want to believe it. Mm-hmm. Because it's 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 romantic. It's you see things that are alive that are mm-hmm. actually already dead. 
but we are seeing it, what, 10,000 years I'm getting, I'm getting later, there. right? I'm getting there. <laughs> okay, I'm getting okay. there. So okay. let's use the example. But not necessarily of, dead. Let's yeah. use the example of the two of us sitting across from each other at a three-foot table, okay? Light travels one foot per nanosecond. That's how fast it goes. So I see you not as you are now, but as you once were three billionths of a second ago. I'm not worried that in those three billionths of a second that you've changed in any significant way. I'm not worried that you died and now I have to wait the three billionths of a second to learn of this fact. The time it takes the light to get from you to me and from me to you is small compared with your life expectancy. <laughs> so I don't need to lose sleep over how much you have changed. Yeah. So the distance to stars in our galaxy, at most, are 100,000 light years. Okay. Okay? So it takes light 100,000 years instead of three nanoseconds. Well, how long do most stars live? Billions of years. So 100,000 years in the life of a star, most stars, is short. It is ignorably short. Hmm. So you don't have to worry that the whole sky has become dark, and you'll one yeah. day figure that out. <laughs> there are stars okay. that do die. And right. we, we can see By them every the numbers, night. There must be some. There, there are some, and we have special programs that search for those stars because okay. they, they're very useful astrophysically okay. in scaling the universe because they die very brightly, which means you can okay. see them at great distance, great distances. So these are called supernova. And when you see a supernova, the star died a million years ago, okay. millions of years ago. So those are stars that have died. But that is the rarest of all stars mm -hmm. are the kinds that explode. Let me ask you this. Does it make it hard when you're looking around the galaxy for solar systems? Wait, is this your question or this someone else's This is me, actually. Uh, is that allowed? I'm following up on her, on her behalf. Fan base, is that allowed? Okay, <laughs> we'll he's sneaking in one of his questions. Yeah. Okay. I mean, does it make it hard when you're looking around for a solar system somewhere out there in the galaxy that you could explore or maybe inhabit one day, but we're going on information that's 10,000 years old? What if uh, you know a planet looks really great right now, but when you eventually get there, it's some uninhabitable hellscape. Yeah, so what would happen is as you got closer and closer, this fact would be revealed to you. Okay. Because <laughs> when you're right upon it, you're seeing yeah. it in that moment. Right. When you're halfway there, you're seeing it sort of halfway ago. Okay. Right, so okay. you would learn of this en route. Okay, so that's why we need to send yeah, probes. It is possible. So Earth was very different 100,000 years ago mm -hmm. than today. Climactically, it was different. Earth's continents were different millions of years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, when the dinosaurs roamed, you didn't have sort of North South America. The, the, you know, most of the water. Sorry, there was no, there were no ice caps during the time of the dinosaurs, so that looked different as well. So yeah, if if you get information on a planet and then you want to go there, you need a you need a different way to get there. You yeah. want to get there faster or some other thing, so you're not wasting time. Okay, that's pretty good. I yeah. think that makes sense. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. Real quickly, I don't know if this is a quick answer or not. If not, if not, then we'll skip it and wrap it up here. But Michael asks, at which point with the expansion of the universe will dark matter reverse the trajectory for collapse? So, <laughs> is that it, it's okay if that's not a short answer. No, I can make I can make it short. Okay. Never has any observation we've ever made indicated that the universe will ever recollapse on itself. Okay. <laughs> All evidence points that we're on a one-way expansion. Okay. Even though if it ever slowed down, stopped, and recollapsed, we have equations for that. The Einstein's general theory of relativity is perfectly fine with a collapsing universe, just as it is with an expanding universe. Okay. 
right? Just to be a little more ex- explicit about that. The equation that describes a ball that you throw to someone on its arc upwards is exactly the same equation that describes the fall of the ball down from its arc. Okay, it's yeah. a, it's a, it's almost like a time reversal mm-hmm. in the equation, and it's this. So many equations will allow different things, but only one of those things is matches the reality that you're living in. So here's Einstein's equations: you can have an expanding or a contracting universe. The solution that matters for us is the expanding universe, and the dark matter is losing its power over the over the movement of things relative to dark energy. Okay. And dark energy is the opposite of right. what dark matter is trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Dark energy exists in the vacuum of space. And the more the universe expands, the more vacuum you have. And so the dark energy relative to the dark matter, the gravity of the dark matter, um, wins and takes over catastrophically. Wow. So the big concern okay. is, will we expand so quickly that one day we'll expand faster than the fabric of space and time can accommodate and possibly create a tear in the universe itself. Yikes. Yeah, I don't even- Will we? I don't, ah, <laughs> I'm not authorized to that. Uh, okay. In one of the, in several episodes of Doctor Who, there was a tear in the space-time continuum, and those are some interesting episodes. But yeah, yeah we, don't, we don't know if the elasticity of space and time can accommodate that. So there's a, there's a branch of research mm-hmm. that worries about that. Well, there you go, Michael. Again, Neil deGrasse Tyson's book is called Letters from an Astrophysicist. Neil, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Neil deGrasse Tyson for coming on the podcast. Order his new book, Letters from an Astrophysicist, on Amazon, Audible, or wherever books are sold. Subscribe to his podcast, Star Talk, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. Follow him on Twitter at, at Neil Tyson and visit his webpage at HaydenPlanetarium.org slash Tyson. Folks, I've been a small business owner for some 20 years now. It's a lot to keep up with, and nothing is more frustrating than dealing with taxes. Stop wasting valuable time worrying about your sales tax returns and focus on the things you actually love about running your business with a little help from Avalara. Avalara simplifies sales tax compliance with real-time rates and automatic filing. Their software seamlessly integrates with the systems you're already using, so it couldn't be easier. Go to avalara, A-V-A-L-A-R-A dot com slash kick to learn more. Avalara, tax compliance done right. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and rate and review us while you're there. Five-star ratings and detailed reviews are one of the best ways for new listeners to discover the show. You can also follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at at KickAssNewsPod and recommend us to your friends on your social media. For more fun stuff, visit KickAssNews.com and I welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions at comments at kickassnews.com. For now, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kickass News.